Minority Retort on X-Ray FM. X-Ray FM. Jason Lamb. Hey everybody, it's time for another edition of Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show, which features all black and brown comedians. It's also by myself, Julia Ramos, and a now rotating cast of black and brown comedic characters that you can normally see at the Siren Theater. And hopefully you'll be able to see sometime again real soon when the world returns somewhat to normal. But here on the show, we don't just talk to comedians and talk about comedy. We also talk to other talented, creative, and thoughtful black and brown people who are doing big things in the community and the world at large. But over the next couple of episodes, I'm actually going to break protocol a little bit because we have the opportunity to sit down and speak with two of the writers of the Emmy-nominated HBO series Watchmen, one of whom is white, Jeff Jensen, and the other of whom is black, Cord Jefferson. Jeff and I actually go back to high school together, and since then he's gone on to become the writer of the Eisner Award-winning graphic novel Green River Killer, as well as the screenwriter of the film Tomorrowland. And Cord Jefferson has worked on some of the most critically acclaimed television shows of the past 10 years, shows such as Succession, Master of None, and The Good Place, in addition to Watchmen. And I wanted to speak with Cord and Jeff today to talk about their experiences developing Watchmen and get their thoughts about how the world has changed since the series originally aired and seems to have mirrored a lot of the events that take place in the series Watchmen. So here now is part one of our conversation with writers Jeff Jensen and Cord Jefferson of the HBO series Watchmen. So Jeff, I wanna start with you because I know that you go back quite a long way with Watchmen. Uh, In fact, the original comic book series uh, written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Dave Gibbons, came out when we were in high school back in the mid-'80s. And what your listeners might want to know is that, you know, Jason and I would spend most of algebra class together in the back of the class reading comic books together, hidden in our, 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 our binders, hidden in our books. Uh, and I, I want to say I'm sure that we must have had my first conversations with normal, intelligent human beings about Watchmen must have been with you, surely must have been with you. And so I I love being able to talk to you about Watchmen, uh, given our history. And Cord, what familiarity did you have, if any, with the original comic book series before you came on board to write this television show? I knew that it was incredibly beloved. Uh, by my friends who were really into comics, but I was not really into comics, so I uh, I had not read it myself until um, I met Damon, and Damon um, Damon and I met at a dinner party and, and hit it off, and we're talking about politics and things, and and he had just wrapped up Leftovers, <clears throat> and uh, about a month later he asked me if I would um, come talk with him about his new project, which was Watchmen. So. Uh, after that, I went out and bought the uh, bought the comic immediately, and devoured it, um, and fell in love with it. And you know, told him right away that I that I would I'd be ecstatic to work on the show with him. So uh, I, I sort of vaguely was aware of it, but I didn't really know anything about it until I read it. 
So Jeff, I wonder if for people who aren't familiar with the original series and haven't seen the television show, if you could just describe what Watchmen is about. Yeah, so the comic book Watchmen is set in an alternate reality America, and it's set in roughly in the year 1985. And it imagines uh, a, a world that perhaps is, is, is very recognizable today. Um, the president is a right-wing conservative lunatic who is cultivating a lot of stress and duress and even global tension. Uh, in that comic book, his name is Richard Nixon. And due to some shenanigans, he has been the president for like 20 some odd years. Um, in this world of Watchmen, there aren't a ton of superheroes. Um, there's only one Superman and he is Dr. Manhattan. He has very cosmic powers. But there have been a lot, there has been a history of costume vigilantism. Um, but in the 1980s, um, as we find this story in the comic book, um, again, Nixon has been president for a very long time. The world is hurtling toward a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. Um, all of the superheroes are, are, have been forcibly retired with the exception for a couple, including Dr. Manhattan. But a mysterious someone is uh, or orchestrating a massive conspiracy that involves all of these superheroes, but is designed in large part to save the world from itself and the socio-political condition that this president is, 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 is pushing us toward. And in the process of telling this, this comic book, Watchmen digs into the fundamental archetypes of so many different types of superhero types and interrogates them, examines their psychology, their motives, um, and really deconstructs the idea of what is a superhero and asks the question, are superheroes really a good idea? Um, so that's Watchmen. Um, at the end of Watchmen, the comic book, there is the intimation that Robert Redford, of all people, is running for president or is about to run for president and mount a serious challenge on the Democratic ticket to take down Richard Nixon. Our show, Watchmen, treats the comic book as canon, but it is set 35 years later. It is set in 2019. And it imagines a world where Robert Redford has now been president for a very long time. And he's changed a lot of things. And under his administration, and with a lot of help, he has made the society, or tried to make a society, a little bit more fair for everyone. Um, and one of, a, one of the big ideas that he has helped to facilitate, but he is not solely responsible for, is this idea of reparations. Um, a, a, an act has been passed that has um, facilitated reparations for victims of racial violence. This has very much antagonized white people and white supremacists in our country for whom equality apparently looks like imbalance. And if they're not on top, if America is changing to benefit other people, 
and, and, and they're effectively being canceled, why they have a problem with that. And so virulent, militant white supremacy is on the rise. And in the town of Tulsa, Oklahoma, that has had a very difficult and painful history of racism and racial violence, this has exploded in the form of an organization known as the 7th Cavalry, a white supremacist organization that has attacked police officers and killed them. This has led Tulsa to ask a question, how then do we effectively police? And so they come up with a novel solution. Um, they are going to put cops in masks and they are going to allow them even to kind of like create their own masked identities and in order to protect themselves from people like the 7th Cavalry. This is like the tip of the iceberg of our show, um, <laughs> but it is set in a very a, a Tulsa, that a version of Tulsa that certainly doesn't look like, at least cosmetically, superficially, our America, in which the police seemingly are in service of protecting the interests of people of color. But as we dig deeper into the story of Watchmen, we come to find out that no matter what timeline we're in, what alternate reality that we're in, white supremacy in America finds a way to really screw things up and find a dastardly way to take things over. And so uh, a system of law and order that seems to be in service of protecting the interests of people of color has actually been grossly perverted and corrupted and still works for the forces of white supremacy. One of the things that made the comic book Watchmen exceptional is that it said, it dared to say a comic book and this a comic book a superhero genre can actually engage directly and specifically with the real issues of the day and the high anxieties of our time. And in, in Watchmen, the comic book, the high anxiety of the time was nuclear war, but very specifically superhero capitalist economy. And that's what Alan Moore was setting his sights on. And just as much as he was deconstructing superhero archetypes, these superhero archetypes were being made to also be symbols of America and everything that is wrong with America. So when we sat down and said, what should our Watchmen TV show should be? We said, we, we kind of came up with a list of a declaration of principles. And one of them was a Watchmen TV show needs to deal with the high anxieties of our time and to confront directly what is wrong with America right here and right now. And when Damon took on the challenge of, Damon Lindelof, co-creator of Lost and The Leftovers, took on the challenge of Watchmen, it was end of 2016, early 2017, Donald Trump had just won the presidency, and we had every reason to believe that the next four years was going to be a culture war on people of color, on immigrants, on women, uh, uh, a sort of real resurgence and vengeance of right-wing values. And Damon's attitude was, there are any number of high anxieties that Watchmen can be about right now. We're going to pick one, and we're going to pick race. And that felt like the correct call. 
And so this idea of creating a watchman that was very much about themes of race and white supremacy in America, um, that became our big theme and that became our big focus as we kind of built the world. And Cord, when you were brought on board, was it already determined that race was going to be a major focus of the show or did that happen after you were brought on? No, that was uh, Damon. Damon had said from, from the outset that he wanted it to be uh, largely about race in America, particularly, and he, and he wanted it, he wanted the Tulsa massacre to be, to be, um, to be part of the story also. So some of the, there were some things that, you know, the, the majority of the series uh, we conceived of in the room, but there was a couple things that, that um, Damon said that he wanted from the outset, which was that the show he wanted to be largely about race. Some of the criticism that I've seen of the show is that although it deals so much with what the idea of a hero is and, and an examination of the tactics that police use to enforce the law, that it could actually be viewed as being very pro-police in that although the characters or the quote-unquote heroes of the show are up against a very clear white racist enemy in this fictionalized version of America, the tactics of violence and intimidation are those that are used here in the real world by police are used to repeatedly cause damage to black and brown communities and marginalized communities here in the real world. And that those police tactics, no matter whom they're used against, are wrong on their face. Was that something that was discussed as the series was being developed? And the answer to the question is yes. Um, and given our philosophy on storytelling though, we wanted to make it messy and provocative and, and, and provoke the question to be discussed as opposed to just saying like, 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 oh, you know, everything that you just said. <laughs> um, but, um, but absolutely, I think that the, the, the point, yeah, I mean, we wanted to be provocatively ironic. Um, here we see in this world of Watchmen, uh, in this world of Watchmen, violence and military tactics and suspension of civil liberties and protections being used in service of beating up and bringing to justice um, like racists and white supremacists. And we wanted to do that in part to make it a little uncomfortable and, 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 uh, and, but also kind of bring out relief of like, yeah, this is wrong in, in any circumstance. Um, even when it gives us a wish fulfillment and catharsis for what we want to see. And we wanted people to wrestle with that. At the same time, um, like still our underlying point of view was uh, this is a show that first and foremost does want to call out and recognize that the structures of white supremacy is that is the evil of our country that needs to be dealt with. So the ultimate revelations of the show, which to spoil things for, for, for people, but as it turns out that this, 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 this police force that is seemingly in service of battling white su supremacy actually is a tool 
of white supremacy and that they're true villains of white supremacy. I mean, yes, the, the, the extremists out there that are going to put on clan hoods and, 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 and do terrible things. Yes, that's white supremacy, but white supremacy also looks like our politicians. They also look like our sheriffs, our mayors, our presidents, the very structures of society are, 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 are in service of the propagation of white supremacy. And so the ultimate revelation that this, there is a long lived white supremacy organization that is actually controlling this police department. And it goes back decades and it played an instrumental role in creating actually the first superhero, which in our world turns out to be um, a black man who put on a mask because the world that justice didn't work for people like him. Um, so he took matters into his own hands and then ended up becoming kind of like corrupted by that as well. Um, um, our show kind of like uh, honors that and, and, and deals with that too. Court, I have to ask you about episode six of the series, which is called This Extraordinary Being, an episode that you wrote, which is acknowledged by many to be one of the standout episodes of the series. And in it, the character of Angela Abar, aka Sister Knight, played magnificently by Regina King, takes a drug called nostalgia that allows her to access the memories of her grandfather and experience them on a first-person basis. He, she literally gets to walk in his shoes and live the moments that he becomes a rookie police officer, uh, being a guy that wants to bring change to the world and make a difference in his community but he quickly learns that he won't be able to do that uh, in the profession that he's chosen and he's going to have to choose a different route. What was the inspiration behind that episode? And I was wondering if it was personal for you at all and emotional for you to write it. I mean, we were, so one of the other ideas that Damon came into the room with was that he wanted hooded justice to be black. Uh, so that, that was, that was something we, we started with on day one and then we just worked backwards from that proposition. So, um, uh, we needed to figure out who exactly hooded justice was going to be and how the hooded justice character was going to, um, influence the events of our present day story. So, uh, it was a, you know, TV is a, uh, very much a, a group effort. And so all of us sort of like threw the, threw together the pieces for that episode I think that we all have traumas that we feel. And I, and I think that if, for me, the, that episodes, that episodes understanding of, of, or, 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 or that episodes reflection on how um, the problems of the past can, uh, and the problems that, 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 that beset our ancestors can, um, can come to influence us also is, is, is certainly something that feels close to home for me. I think that, I think that there's no way that for any person of color in America, uh, I, th I think that, that, that should feel close to home for any black American. I think that the um, tragedies and, and the racism that, um, that oppressed and influenced our, you know, our ancestors, there's no way to not see a sort of direct line be between what was going on, literally hundreds of years ago 
and what's going on nowadays. I just think that, I, I think that if you are at all aware of, of American history and at all aware of, of your own personal history and your own family's history, that there's no way to, to uh, not see that, that uh, you know, the founding of this country on human beings kept as slaves is, is uh, you know, you can, you can basically draw a direct line between those things in, in my mind. And so I think that, I, I think that the, there's things in that episode that for instance, the, the, the lynching scene is, is incredibly, um, you know, heartbreaking. I think that it was, uh, you know, and, it's it's heartbreaking on the page when you're just looking at the words and, and and you're thinking about this character, but you know the execution of it was was so you know beautiful but also tragic in in, the, in what Stephen the director did with it and, and what Regina and Joven did with it and uh, you know it was it's heartbreaking to see too. I think that that's for me one of the um, that's one of the hardest scenes in the show to watch, but also I think you know incredibly necessary and. and it was, uh, you know, it was uh, just necessary because we wanted to show that brutality and show that sort of what really put Will Reeves over the edge and, and led him to become uh, Hooded Justice. So I would say that it was, um, yeah, it was, it was certainly emotional to write and, and think about these things, but um, I, I've never shied away from that kind of thing. I think that that... that if something feels emotional and, and raw, then I, I sort of, I think my tendency is, as a writer is to, to maybe lean into that because I think that oftentimes that's where, that's where you get really, really good stuff. Court, as I understand it, the writer's room was pretty diverse. I was wondering what it was like in the writer's room, having people of such diverse backgrounds working on a show that was so heavily focused on race. Were there any difficult discussions that were had amongst you as people, not just writers working on a television show. Yeah, I think that that's one of the beautiful things about a writer's room though, is that, is that it is a um, collection of, um, it's a collection of people with different ideas working toward one goal. And so I wouldn't, there was certainly, um, there was certainly very serious discussions, but I, I would say that they never, got disrespectful uh, or, or or rude or angry. Um, we, we talked seriously about serious issues, but it never felt like there was coming from a, a place of animosity or, or malice. Uh, and, you know, uh, it was really interesting to hear different people's perspectives. So I, I think that, um, you know, we talked about these issues like policing and we talked about issues like um, reparations and we talked about, um, the, the original stuff in Watchmen, the sexual violence in Watchmen, these are very third rail serious um, issues. And, and so they prompted um, adult conversations, but, but I, I wouldn't say that there was ever, there was never any argument or anything. It felt, it, it felt very familial and, and, and kind, well, I guess some families are full of arguments, but it felt very, it felt very kind and, and never mean spirited or anything. I, I really enjoyed everybody that I worked with, despite the fact that we may have had a difference of opinion about certain things. You know, but I think that that's, that's the beauty of it is, is, is getting in there and sort of, it's a dialectical exercise where you just get in and talk stuff out and sort of figure out the, the way forward. And Jeff, what did you learn, if anything, being in that environment? Um, our show begins 
with a recreation of the 1921 Tulsa massacre and um, a, a, a crucial, a, 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 a terrible incident in American history that forces people to confront what white supremacy really looks like post-slavery um, and, 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 and what it does to black communities. And we turned that into a myth of America. And um, it, it was a story that when we discovered it for the white writers in the room like me, I felt deeply ashamed that I did not know this. That is our country. That is us. We did this. And the legacy of America flows out of compounding generations of stuff like this, building on stuff like this, building on stuff like this. And it was, it's sobering and it was troubling and it was in personally indicting. And um, it felt like something I wanted to take responsibility for on an individual level, but on a, on a cultural level. But the, the big shocker was that a lot of people didn't know about this too. So to see the show, for example, bring that into, in, 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 into people's homes and then see the culture respond by saying, did you know about this? And now people are talking about the 1921 Tulsa massacre. And now one year later, the Tulsa school system is finally teaching, is going to finally teach the Tulsa 19, 1921 Tulsa massacre in schools. They hadn't done that until now. One of the most, one of the things that chills me to the bone about that, of that incident in American history is that after those two, three days of violence, um, Tulsa said, okay, let's just go back to normal now. Like the people who, the survivors of that massacre, their town burned down the ground. White people said, we come back and rebuild and we're just gonna carry on like this never happened. And that's what they did. And for, and, and within a generation of people, people like didn't like, didn't, weren't talking about it. And if they remembered it, denied it, you know? Um, and it took decades for people to confront it. And people tried for decades to get people to talk about it. There's this, I, I for, forgive me for not knowing the name, but there's this work of this black owned newspaper in Tulsa that for decades, has been trying to get the town of Tulsa to confront this part of its history. Um, those guys are heroes, you know? Um, and so it's all this, to, to play a part in getting people to like recognize an incident like that and take it seriously, now teach it and reckon with it. That feels gratifying. Everything else that has come since then that hasn't been on the nose, but just left of it or right of it, um, but still feels connected, feels like, like that, that we now live in, in, in upside down Watchmen world USA that reveals the ugly face of America. Uh, it just feels weird. It feels troubling. And um, the message of Watchmen is ultimately we need to confront it and reckon with it. And, and, and hopefully that can actually happen in our, in, in, in our present day too. I think the thing to keep in mind about the Tulsa massacre is that it, it, it wasn't unique. Uh, what happened in Greenwood was not, was not something that, that, that was rare in America. The, the, the destruction of black communities, thriving black communities was, 
something that happened all throughout the United States and, and indeed in, in places throughout the world. So I think that um, this idea that, uh, you know, we absolutely wanted to hopefully get across the idea that, that if you, you know, if you look at the, the destruction of what happened, that, that it is one of the main themes of the show is, is generational trauma. How, how the, how the um, violence and, and trauma and, and wounds inflicted upon your ancestors can carry through to your life in present day and the ways that the ways that um, those old traumas and those old ghosts come back and haunt us. And I think that one of the ways that, that we get out in the show that, that that happens is certainly like the, the financial stakes, uh, you know, you know, if, if you are, if your ancestors a hundred years ago were um, deprived of uh, uh, homes and, and work and, and um, the assets that, 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 that um, people hand down to their, um, progeny and, and, and the things that, you know, the inheritances that are, that are given to, to your children your, and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Um, without those, um, you know, the black community is, is put in a much different place from the white community in the United States of America. So I think that's, uh, that, that, that when, we, when we talk about generational trauma and the ways that, that the, um, the traumas of the past uh, uh, rear their ugly head uh, in present day, that's, that's certainly one of the, one of the ways that, that, that you can look at it. And that was part one of our conversation with two of the writers from the Emmy-nominated HBO series Watchmen, Jeff Jensen and Cord Jefferson. If you want to find out more about Jeff and Cord and their work, you can follow Jeff on Twitter at EW.Jensen, and Cord is on Twitter at Cord Jefferson. And we'll hear more from Jeff and Cord next week. And we'll be back to wrap up the show in just a moment.